Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, well, uh, happy Palm Sunday. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but this has got nothing to do with Palm Sunday, this sermon, but I was thinking about Palm Sunday this morning. I was thinking, I wonder what the weather was like. So it was a rainy day and all those people went out anyways, but it got me thinking. I was kind of in a reflective mood this morning. I was thinking, my son turned 13 today, and uh, my wife and I were like, well, that's very kind of you too. <laughs> So anyways, you turned 13, and I'll be 39 uh, this July, and I, I know a lot of you are thinking, wow, you don't look a day over 49, but <laughs> it's the great beard, right? But I was thinking, I was thinking, wow, life, life happens, right? There's milestones and markers. Well, I was thinking 13's a big one. And I was thinking about the resurrection and what we're going to talk about today, because it was a milestone and a marker that changed everything, right? How's that for a segue? Yeah, did that work? <laughs> I usually have these awkward amblings into sermons because I get up here and it takes me a minute to calm down. But <laughs> anyways, we're talking about the resurrection and how it changed everything because it literally did. I hope you know that. I hope that's a living daily reality in your life. I remember Pastor Carl one day preached about baptism and uh, it, it stuck with me what, what he said about how it's not, it's not a one-time event, it's a daily reality. It's a living reality in your life. Daily, I live the fact that I've been raised up together with Jesus. So the resurrection changes everything, and it changes everything on a daily basis. And a couple weeks ago, we started off by talking about the fact of the resurrection. It was a historical fact. Jesus Christ actually became a man, died a death, was buried in a tomb, and then rose from the dead three days later. And this is historically verified. In fact, the criteria of historicity is absolutely exhausted with this, more so than so much other things that we take for granted as being historically true. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and that's a fact. It's a natural fact, it's a historical fact, and it's a spiritual fact. God himself bears witness to the fact that he raised his son from the dead. And there's so many of us in this room, and so many millions upon millions of people throughout time and history who would be able to say, I encountered this risen Jesus and he changed my life. I can thankfully say I'm one of those. Jesus Christ is alive, he's alive in my life, and he's changed my life, and he's touched my life in a way that nobody could ever argue hasn't happened. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it's a fact. And that fact eternally testifies to the fact that I am now right with God. Eternally so. Second of all, last week we talked about how Jesus was the first fruits of resurrection. And we looked at the, uh, the, the Jewish, the agricultural and their religious calendar and how at the beginning of the harvest, when the harvest starts to pop up, uh, the, the people were supposed to take to the priests the first fruits of their harvest and go give it to the priests to wave before God and say, look at this, thank you. You get to experience the beginning of harvest. Thank you for what you've given us. And we're doing this with a great expectation that there's something massive to come behind. There's a, further, there's a further harvest. This is just the first fruits. This is thank you for what's coming. And we saw how Jesus fulfilled that. When he was raised from the dead, he went to the Father and proclaimed and demonstrated and let the Father experience him as the first fruits. And I see Jesus going into the throne room of God and saying, here I am, Father, and look at this. You get to experience me first, but guess what? There's a massive harvest coming after me. I'm just the guarantee of the beginning of a resurrected humanity that's going to partner with you forever. 
So the first fruits, and then in one of the small groups, we were talking about how, isn't it amazing how Jesus had this, this absolutely vital mission to go present himself before God as the first fruits, yet somehow he took the time to stop and talk to his friend. A marginalized, stigmatized woman in that culture, that would have been crazy that he did that. But somehow we saw there's a wisdom from God, and we talked about it, and I think there was a little bit of a prophetic unction on this, how there's a wisdom from God being released to people today to get the job done, but to do it in a way that still prioritizes love and connection and doesn't run roughshod over people. So Jesus had a mission, but he also took the time to show connection and care for, for somebody that he deeply cared about. And that's amazing. Especially people like me, I like to get the job done. I'm, I'm an achiever, I'm a doer, I wanna, I wanna move on, you know what I mean? I wanna tick my box. But sometimes you gotta slow down for the people in your world. And if Jesus can do it in this instance, wow, I can do it too. Why can't I too, right Terry? Why can't I? Okay, so we talked about the fact, the face. Today we're going to talk about the focus of the resurrection. And uh, I promised my wife I wouldn't geek out in a little history lesson here. But uh, just as a, as a little illustration, I want to take you back maybe to high school or university science. But uh, introduce you again to Nicholas Copernicus. He was a Polish priest, alive 1473 to 1543. And uh, he came up, he didn't come up with a theory, but he actually was courageous enough to, to to postulate this and to put it out there, that actually the, the earth is not the center of the universe, but the sun was. So remember back then we kind of had this, uh, the fancy words are geocentrism and heliocentrism. We thought that the earth was the beginning, the end of all, and right at the middle of the universe. And the reason why we thought that is because the Bible describes it that way. I mean, the Bible describes the sun as like a bridegroom that rouses out of his chamber and chases the bride across the sky. <laughs> kind of weird, but... And our observation, I mean, if you wake up in the morning and you just were to spend all day staring up in the sky, it wouldn't give you the impression that you were moving. It would look like the sun was moving, right? So, so that was kind of the accepted theory at the time. Copernicus comes up and he says, you know what, guys? The Earth, it just actually acts like all the other planets, but it's actually the sun that's at the center. And why that was so revolutionary isn't necessarily because, you know, great, we got better models of the universe, but it challenged how we know what we know. It, it, it gave us permission to actually have a look at our universe and actually start to say, wow, this is actually what it is. Instead of being, you know, just dogmatically accepting what was told to us or the assumptions and the unproven theories from centuries ago. And this actually, this revolution that Copernicus started, and it was actually picked up and followed along by people like Galileo. I don't know if you know that or not, that name, but 1610, Galileo took a, a telescope, looked up in the sky, and in the sky he saw the phases of Venus, and he saw the moons of Jupiter orbiting around the planet, and it was proof. All of a sudden there was proof that what Copernicus was talking about is right. And I'll tell you what, when he took that telescope and he looked through the lens of the telescope, a different reality came into focus. Something came into focus that was beyond what the natural eye could see. See, up until then, Copernicus and all, everybody before him, they're looking into the sky and they're just seeing what they see. They're going by what their natural eyes tells them. But the lens of the telescope allowed Galileo to see something that the natural eye couldn't. And I want to suggest to you that one of the ways that the resurrection absolutely changes everything is that in light of the resurrection, new realities come into focus that weren't in focus before. We can see life through a different lens. We get to see lens, and I'm going to talk today about three different ways that our vision and our focus can shift in light of the resurrection. Just like the whole world and a whole realm of possibility opened up when they started to actually look up through a new lens. That kicked off the scientific revolution. That paved the way for Isaac Newton. I mean, that, that, that paved the way for the scientific method as we understand it and know it today. The ability to actually look and see beyond our natural eyes. 
So in the resurrection, I'm going to suggest today that there's three ways that our focus can shift when we view life through the lens of resurrection. One is we get to shift our eyes from religion to relationship. Second of all, we get to shift our eyes from just trying to survive in life to thriving in life. And finally, we get to lift our eyes off of what's temporal, what the Bible says is seen, and we get to fix our eyes in the unseen, the eternal. So, you might be here today and might be thinking, well, hold on a second, I came to church. Why would I shift my eyes off of religion? What's that all about? And oftentimes, we use the word religion with a negative connotation. And uh, I'm going to give you this definition by a theologian, Robert Capon. Brilliant, brilliant mind. He said, religion is the attempt on the part of human beings to establish a right relationship between themselves and something outside of themselves. In our, in our case, that would be God, right? I mean, he's arguing that you can do that with a diet. You can turn a religion, a diet into a religion. You're trying to establish a right relationship between yourself and your ideal body type. And you can make it a very religious pursuit. So I, I like that. Something that they think to be of life-shaping importance. So religion in its, in its bad connotation is this. It's a life lived full of rules and regulations and stipulations and principles and perhaps codes of ethics that you believe are going to somehow, if you keep them, are going to convince God to love you, bless you, prosper you, do good things to you. And depending on your picture of God, you might even be trying to convince him not to hurt you, not to judge you, either in this life or the next, right? Seriously, that, that's the picture that we have of God. Somehow, we need to be saved from God because he wants to hurt us, right? And, that, and it's just not true. So, so when we live with our, our eyes fixed on religion, here's the problem with that. Our life gets narrowed down into rules, into regulations, and we're constantly evaluating ourselves and our performance based on how well we're accomplishing these rules and regulations. And then, it, yeah, absolutely, Joey, it's hard work. And then on top of that, we then can fall into this awful tendency to put those rules and regulations on other people and base our relationships with them based on how well we think they're keeping the rules. And then we might even say something like, God, look at those people. Look how badly they're doing at keeping those rules. Judge them. And I mean, it's, it's an awful rabbit trail because then from there you go down that rabbit trail and you start interpreting life events through the lens of religion and you see something awful happen in the news and you're like, well, well that was just judgment. See what I mean? It's a very ugly way to live. It's a very ugly focus. And you become self-absorbed, self evaluating yourself and others all the time. And ultimately, it's very exhausting. It's a tiring way to live. And I think that's why Jesus said to the Jewish people in Matthew 11, and this is out of the message version, but I think he was like, guys, are you, are you done yet? <laughs> are you done with this? Are you tired? Are you ready for a break? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Not are you burned out on the stresses of life, but are you burned out on religion? Religion will frazzle your brain like nothing else. Are you burned out on religion? And then he says, come to me. Here's the antidote for, for religion and being burned out. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll actually recover your life. Everything about you that you've lost by trying to keep the rules and living in a very strict life. You know what? He's saying, come to me and you're actually going to get that life back that you've lost. He says, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. I love this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn how to live life instead of forcing your way by competing all the time and trying to achieve and trying to attain and trying to, you know, prove yourself. Stop it. Just live out of the unforced rhythms of grace. You're going to find a power in your life and a presence in your life that's going to cause you to do the things that you've been trying so hard to do. Just relax. Come to me. Keep company with me. See the shift? 
Are you tired? Are you worn, worn out on religion? Here's the switch. Come to me. Just relax. Just, just learn from me. Walk with me. That's all I'm asking. I'm not going to put anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. You'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That's some good stuff, eh? See, the resurrection brings a different life into focus. And this is why, exactly because of what Pastor Carl shared the last couple of weeks. Romans 4.25, Jesus was handed over to be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins, but he was raised back to life to prove that he's made us right with God. Because he was raised from the dead and we have been set right with God, we don't need to spend our time, our energy, and our effort trying to get right with God. We don't have to do that. We've been raised up into a new life. We've been made alive. Now the essence of our life with God is not about trying to please him or appease him. It's about enjoying him. That is eternal life. Jesus said in John 17, 2 and 3, he said, you've given me the authority over all flesh that I can give eternal life to as many as you've given me. And then he prays to his father and he says, this is eternal life. Get ready. Here's a description of eternal life. This is what it's all about. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That is eternal life. I mean, it's so backwards to us. We get our life out of our stuff. We get life out of our, our experiences and all that kind of stuff. But eternal life comes from relationship to a person, not relationship to a set of rules. So Jesus says eternal life is all about knowing God. The focus of our life is not trying to get into right relationship with him. It's enjoying the fact that he's made us in right relationship. And here's the shift we got to make. We got to stop trying to be through religion what we've already become through resurrection. God has made us something in the resurrection. Everything that religion promises and says, this is what you can become, this is what you can do. You're already that. You just got to relax and embrace the fact, wow, I've been raised up into new life. Everything about me that I think is wrong has actually been made new. And the relationship I'm striving for, I've already got, and I've got it by birth. By new birth. So stop trying to be through religion, what we become through resurrection. And and then one of the tragedies is we, we get it. We understand that the heart of the Father is just to, just to love him, just to know him, just to enjoy him. But then we get our heads in our Bibles a little bit and we're like, well, hold on a second. God wants me to be like him. I better try real hard to be like him. And we fall prey to the same temptation that Adam and Eve fell to. Here, I'll give you a little, a little trick, a little tip, a little five steps. And here you go. You're going to start to be like God because he just doesn't want you to know him. He wants to be like him too. And then we can fall prey to that same thing. But Christianity is actually about wearing on the outside the image of God you already bear on the inside. That's why Ephesians 4, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which was already created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You on the inside, true righteousness and holiness, that's who you are. You've been made in the image of God. If your life focus and your relationship with God and your Christianity is all about trying to be like God, I'd argue just stop it. Embrace the fact that he's made you like him. And now you put that on in your outward behavior, in your attitudes, in your mindset. Because what you do is you realize that what God's already done, he's done deeply on the inside of me. And I just have to relax and let it come out. It's good news. It really is good news. And this is a shift that you can make when you see the resurrection. You see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, I have been raised up with him. And this is all now mine. This is all now who I am. And I don't have to strive anymore. And with that, that takes us into point number two. That was a better segue. (laughs) We can move from surviving in life to thriving in life. And uh, I'll be honest with you, that sounds flashy and it rhymes. 
thriving is a bit of a, a buzzword, right? But uh, here, here's a couple of things about what I thought about thriving. Sometimes we can be obsessed in life with just kind of preserving what we've got. Just kind of trying to maintain the status quo. Survival mode. But with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead comes a new power in our lives. Romans 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, he will give life to my mortal body. He'll give life to your mortal body. We can expect power in our bodies and upgraded physical possibilities. Who needs some of that? Emma got some of that last week. That's resurrection power. That's a, I, I'm not going to try and dread life anymore. I, I've been healed. I've been supernaturally touched because of resurrection power. In light of the resurrections, we get made part of the indestructible life of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but Jesus Christ takes on the cross all the sins of the whole world, the sickness, the curse, the death, everything the devil could throw at him, and it still couldn't kill him. He had to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it was the power of the indestructible life that the Bible tells us in Hebrews that qualified him as a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The power of an indestructible life resides on the inside of you. How's that for thriving in life? Man, the problem is we don't always realize it. We don't. It's not that we don't have it. It's that we don't realize it. Or we've been taught that we need to get it. So Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, he said, I pray amongst other things that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. Not at a service in 2021. Right? The power was poured out then. Now, don't get me wrong. There's dunamis power. There's encounters with the Holy Spirit. But the power to live a new life and the life force and power, the indestructible life of Jesus, you've already been grafted into it. You came out of the tomb with him with it. It's on the inside of us. So, I mean, there is power in our lives to do more than just get by. We've got the power to live and manifest the very life nature of Jesus Christ right here, right now. Nobody wants to see me trip and fall. <laughs> All right, here's another thing, though, about surviving in life, okay? Jesus, Matthew 16. These are kind of challenging verses, but we got to talk about them. Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, here's the thing about resurrection. You can only be resurrected if you've died. Now, this isn't a call for us to take up our cross in the sense that we're going to run around doing all sorts of sacrificial things. Do you know what my cross is? His cross. I was crucified with him, just like I was raised up. I mean, you can read about it in Ephesians 2 or Romans 6, where it talks about how I died with him. I've also been raised with him. So his cross is my cross. When it says carry your cross, bear your cross, what that means is let the weight of it sink in in my life every single day. Let the weight of the fact that I was crucified with Jesus be a living reality in my life. It's not a call to live a crazy religious life. So take up your cross. When I take up my cross, I acknowledge the fact that I died with him. And I love this. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, you know, I'm not going to boast in anything except for in the cross of Christ, through which I died to the world and the world died to me. So all the things in life that I feel like I need, that I have so much investment and so much attachment to, because I think that in them I have identity. In them I think I get significance. In them I think that I, you know, maybe the way that I make other people think about me. Maybe my image, maybe the way that I look. I don't know if that's your thing. That kind of thing. You know what I mean? There's external things that we try to get life from. 
But in the resurrection, we see that actually my life's not in any of that stuff. And the crazy pursuit of trying to find life, find identity, find significance, find success in the external things of life, like what I look like, what people think about me, what my job performance is, anything like that. In the resurrection, I get to let go of all of it. I died to all of it. I've been raised up into a new life, and now the life force that I have on the inside of me and my sense of success, significance, identity, it all flows through my union with the resurrected Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I, don't, I can't think of a greater picture of success than somebody who overcame death and is seated at the right hand of the Father with the name above every name. And I'm one with him. How can I be any more successful than that? So, I mean, I don't have to stress. I don't have to worry. Resurrection lets, let, lets me let go of that stuff and just live. I just get to live. I don't have to worry about it. And you know what? This is, this is kind of the, the ugly part of the sermon, but I think it gets awkward for, for a reason sometimes. It also lets me let go of the fear of dying, like actual death. The philosophers call it the big it, the thing that we don't want to talk about, the thing that humanity tries so hard to ignore, escape, and just pretend doesn't exist. But it does. You know, we're, we're all going to die. There's a generation Jesus is going to come. We're not all going to sleep. Some of us are going to be transformed, but you're going to be transformed. Something's going to happen to you. Okay? Jesus said in John chapter 11, 25 and 26, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he will live. And if you've accepted Jesus, you need to accept the fact that you've already passed from death to life. And according to John chapter 5, you've not only passed from death to life, but you've passed through judgment already. You will not enter into judgment. So the resurrection takes our focus off of this thing that all of humanity is secretly afraid of, secretly in bondage to. Hebrews 2 tells us that the devil holds humanity in bondage their whole lifetime through the fear of death. But Jesus entered into our death and was raised up out of it to show us that we don't need to be afraid of death anymore. And we can say, hey, death, where's your sting? It's swallowed up in victory. Death doesn't have the final word. Jesus does because he overcame it. So this thing, I mean, this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the shift from uh, I'm afraid to die to wow, I have eternal life is what empowered the saints of old to be able to do things like in the face of a, a persecutor who was going to say, recant Jesus or die. Millions upon millions of saints throughout history were able to say, I'll never recant. Why would I do that? I've got a source of eternal life. That's what empowered the church throughout the generations to thrive, to be able to survive, to be able to say, you know what, I can overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, the word of my testimony, and I love not my own life even unto death. And when you can live that way and you're free from the fear of death, but not only the fear of death, but the fear of losing those things that you think you need so badly, I'll tell you what, if you can let go of that stuff and realize your life is in the resurrected Jesus, you're going to survive and you're, you're going to thrive. Life is found in the person who is life. Not in our stuff, right? Not in what people think about us. Life comes from him who is the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, we get to shift our eyes from the temporal to the eternal. This is kind of like the last point, but I really think that humanity, I think it even says in Ecclesiastes somewhere, that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. I think we were made just with an inbuilt desire and need to live forever. I mean, we, we want to live forever. We want to exist forever. And we want our accomplishments. We want to make a contribution to life that lasts. I think that's a very human desire. I think that's okay. I mean, Jesus said, you know, he, he called us that we'd bear fruit and that our fruit would remain. 
Some of us, you know, you use the word legacy or, you know, you want to have longevity. That's a very God-given thing. God put that in our hearts. He put eternity in, in the hearts of all humanity. But I'll tell you what, outside of the resurrection and outside of that hope, this awareness of eternity, this desire to be and to do something that lasts forever, it turns inward and it becomes selfish through the fear of death and temporality. We become painfully aware of our own mortality. We become bound by a sense of urgency. And all of a sudden, we start making decisions in life that are designed really to do nothing more than secure praise or a sense of success in this life. You see, when you're, when you're stuck in this realm only, when you're stuck in the temporal, your need is, I need to make decisions. I need to make life choices. I need to make a contribution that everybody can see, everybody can recognize, everybody can praise. I need to see the effects of my work all the time. And you know what? The resurrection of Jesus actually helps us to shift our eyes into something much, much, much bigger and much more eternal. Through the lens of resurrection, we get to see that our partnership with Jesus actually never ends. Our life with him, our partnership with him goes on and on and on forever. And we start to make decisions and contributions to life that aren't geared towards what praise can I get or what recognition can I have or what impact can I make right here and now. But you start to make decisions in light of eternity. What decisions, what contributions can I make to somebody else's life that are going to outlive me, that are going to outlive my contribution, that are going to outlive my position? Something that's going to make an impact and stay with somebody well, well past me, well past my stuff. And we can start to think in this way, how do I make contributions in lives that, are, that it goes beyond just the temporal moment of, wow, you know, I see and I can praise you for what you did. And I think in this way, what the Apostle Paul was talking about comes real in our lives in 2 Corinthians chapter 4.18 when he says, fix your eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is unseen, or what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is, is eternal. So I think in other words, you can spend your life doing things, building things, accumulating things that you can't take with you and won't make an impact once you're gone. Or you can make investments into people. Jesus told a parable about this as well, investing into, in, eternally into relationships. You can make investments into people and relationships and quality of life and relationships that other people have with, with others and with God that is going to far outlast you. And that's not to say that this world doesn't matter. It does. If you read the end of the Bible, it actually all the action comes back down to planet Earth. God himself comes back down here. So when we say the temporal, the eternal, I'm not saying don't worry about your job and don't worry about cutting your grass. That stuff matters. You know what I mean? It's the temporal versus the eternal. And actually, good earth stewardship is actually an eternal value if you want to look into it. But now there's a, there's a, there's a way to talk about this that's often been shrouded in, in religion. And it goes something like this. You've been saved. God saved you by grace. But now I want you to think about your eternity. Because if you don't live right, you're going to appear before this thing called the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to be judged and your eternal experience is going to be diminished if you don't live right. I don't know if you've heard that kind of stuff or not, but like I, I really got wrapped up in that when I first got saved. I, I think I got delivered from trying to save myself, but then my life became about, well, how do I get the mansion in the sky? How do I get the beach house, you know, instead of the cabin in the middle of the desert, you know? I want to be part of the action. I don't want to be on the fringes. And it really freaked me out. Because people talk about this stuff with incredible authority and the force of experience behind it. But I think there's something else going on. I don't know if you know this, but the judgment seat of Jesus is actually also the throne of grace. There's not a bunch of different chairs in heaven that Jesus jumps up and runs to. 
the judgment seat is the throne of grace, and that's where we go to obtain grace and mercy. So why do we think we're going to have a different experience? I don't know. But look at this. This is in Peter. 1 Peter 3, or yeah, chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now get this. This, is, this. this will rock your world if you're struggling with that kind of thing. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, I've been begotten again to a living hope. I've been begotten again to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, it does not fade away, and it is reserved in heaven for me. There is a share for us in the eternal inheritance of Jesus Christ. It's kept in heaven for us, and we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. That inheritance I have in heaven is not like up and down. It's not diminishing or fading or corrupting according to my performance on a day-to-day basis. It's kept. It's a part of actually the very inheritance of Jesus Christ. It's kept. It's reserved for me, and I am kept and reserved for that. So the judgment seat of Christ is not a giant carrot and stick designed to make Christians make better decisions. It's actually just, it's an aid. It's meant to help you to realize that there's an experience for you that helps you know there's consequences to your decisions beyond just what you can see, hear, and feel. And that's not in a judgmental sense. The, the standing before the judgment seat of Christ, as, as I've experienced it and as I believe that I will, is an amazingly empowering experience. Yeah. It's where you're going to hear the judgment of God spoken over your life. Right. When you step into eternity, do you know what the judgment of God over your life is? Holy. Yeah. Acceptable. Yeah. Without blame. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Do you need to hear that? I, I want the judgments of God. Right. I pray for them. I want to hear God speak over my life. You're accepted in the beloved. Wow, what a different perspective, eh? The judgment seat of Christ, when you step into eternity, that's going to be the moment where, you know what, if you still do have areas of brokenness in your life, and we all probably do in our minds, because we're engaged in this journey of being transformed through the renewing of our minds, I'm going to see Jesus Christ face to face. The one who is truth himself and all the lies and all the things that I thought I thought were true are going to be corrected in a moment. We're going to see each other. I'm going to be like him because I'm going to see him as he is. And in that moment, all the restrictive ideas and ideologies and thoughts and beliefs that I had, all the limiting beliefs that I embraced that hindered my life are going to be gone when I stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus looks at me and says, you're accepted in the beloved. You're holy. You're without blame. And I really think that eternal desire that we all have to do something that lasts forever, down here it's not always clear. Sin has kind of muddied, the, the forces of darkness have kind of muddied the, the, the possibility of necessarily always seeing and connecting the good that we've done. But the judgment seat of Christ is also going to be that place where that eternal longing to know that what you did matters is actually going to be fulfilled and realized. And Jesus is going to be able himself to take you through it and say, hey, remember when you did that? Remember when you loved your neighbor? Remember when you spoke that kind word to somebody? This is what it did for them. And that eternal longing you have in your heart for significance in what you do and doing something that lasts forever is going to be satisfied when Jesus shows you the impact that your life has made. And you might think, wow, well, I haven't really made an impact on eternity, but I can tell you this, the fact that you exist makes an impact on eternity. John 16, verse 27, it says, you know what? Jesus, the Father, he himself loves you. Jesus said, I'm not going to pray to God anymore. He himself loves you, and he loves you with that phileo kind of love. He has personal affection for you. Why? Because you believed me. 
you believe Jesus, your life has already made significant impacts because God the Father, the center of the universe, he actually thinks positive thoughts about you. And he appreciates the fact that you've opened your heart to his son. And your life is already filled with eternal significance and fruit, the likes of which you can't even see. God himself lives inside of you. You might not know it. You might not see it. But when you show up somewhere, things are happening in response to who you are, whether you see it and know it or not. So eternity helps us to see my life matters. I'm making a difference. And I might not see it down here, but there's going to be a moment where I'm going to step into that zone and he's going to say, Zach, look at all the stuff that happened. Look at what I was able to do through your life simply because I lived inside of you. That's a good deal. The more audacious thing is he's actually going to reward me for what he did. And you know what I'm going to do? And I'm going to throw it at his feet and say, thank you very much. Thank you for what you've done for me. I recognize you as the source of all of my life. So these are just a few things, a few thoughts I want to share with you, leave with you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead literally changes everything. And just like our world, our, our interactions with it, the way we understand the world around us, the way we understand our contribution to the world was radically changed when there was a shift in focus and we were able to see something beyond what our naked eye could see and we were able to look through the lens of the telescope, look up into the sky and see reality for what was actually there. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead actually brings that same shift in focus in our lives and ironically, it's actually a sun-focused life as well. Thank you, Jesus. The resurrection changes everything. Shifts our eyes from religion to relationship, from surviving to thriving, and from fear and small-minded preservation to a life that really makes eternal impact. All because we've been included in his life. Amen? Amen. 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 I don't know if you noticed this or not, guys, but when we, uh, even at Easter, even when it's not Easter, like you, you sing songs and you sing songs about the resurrection and you, or there's like a phrase or some lyrics that pop up on the screen about, there's just a lift, isn't there? There's just some, there's something in the room that just says, wow, it's because you're connecting in that moment to the eternal, indestructible life of God on the inside of you. So I don't know about you. I've really enjoyed these last couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to Friday. I'm looking forward to Sunday. Uh, Easter is all the time. The reality of my baptism into Jesus, baptized into his death, buried with him, and then raised up into new life. That even now, as he lives by the glory of Father, so I get to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. (laughs) It's good news. All right, guys, uh, I'll I'll keep going, so we better stop. Let's stand up together. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so as always, I just want to give you an opportunity. If there's anybody, maybe you're watching online or... In that camera there with the red button, shifted, moved, <laughs> or you're in the house today. And uh, all this technology, you, uh, you've never actually said, you know what, I believe in the resurrection. I believe in Jesus. I believe he was raised from the dead to prove that I'm right with God. If you've never done that before, I'd like to give you the chance right now. And all I'm going to do is ask if everybody could bow your head and close your eyes. We just want to create a moment where it's just between you and God. And if that's you here today and you want to say, you know what, I want that resurrection, indestructible life, operative in my life, I agree. Jesus was raised from the dead for me. So I'm just going to ask you at the count of three just to put up your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Just as a way of saying thank you. I believe that. All right, thank you. 
And if you're online and you're watching at home today too, you can pray the same prayer. We're just going to pray together. We're going to say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. And now I'm right with God. Thank you. In your name. Amen. Easy. Just like that. Jesus did the heavy lifting. He put us right with God. And now what we need to do is just embrace it, accept it. And you know what? Something powerful, something miraculous has happened in your life today. Thank you, Jesus. I was going to pray for everybody else. And we've got uh, the opportunity for ministry at the front today as well. If the people who are praying in the house want to come forward, we've got the socially distanced uh, tape markers here where you can get prayer in the house. If you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you're new here and you'd like to find out a little bit more about Impact Church or... Hey, maybe you've been here forever and you've never actually done our Next Steps class. Uh, as you leave the building today, out the door, when you turn right in the cafe, we've got a 10-15 minute session with snacks and we just want to spend some time and give you the opportunity to ask some questions, find out a little bit about who we are. So everybody who's never done it before is welcome to attend. The snacks are great. Pop's good. <laughs> Cream soda. <laughs> I'll just say, I'm kidding. All right, well, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for raising Jesus from the dead. I thank you for what that means for each of us. And I thank you for the shift in focus that comes into our lives because of who you are and what you've done. So, Father, I pray right now that the, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that spirit that gives us the deep internal knowledge of you, would cause us to know what is the hope of your calling. That he would cause us to know the riches of your inheritance in the saints. And that he would cause us to know at the deepest cellular level of who we are, the surpassing greatness of your power towards us who believe. That resurrection, life, and power would be a daily reality in each of our lives. And we ask this, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is alive from the dead, risen at your right hand. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you guys are online too, you can check out, you can get to the lobby online as well. We got an online prayer for you as well. We've got the opportunity to do next steps on Zoom. Just go to impactlondon.ca and uh, go down to the all access pass and let them know that you'd like to do next steps or lobby or prayer and they'll sort you out. <laughs>